Hello, and welcome to Unconditional Love Fellowship with Bishop Malcolm Smith. This is webinar episode 129, Speak God's Word. For more information and more teachings by Malcolm Smith, including books, videos, and MP3 downloads, please visit www.malcolmsmith.org. And now, Bishop Malcolm Smith. The Lord be with you. And I want to share something that actually I often share it here, there, and everywhere. It's a, I believe it's a very foundational truth to our living in the fullness of life that is in Christ Jesus. And so just a little reminder, shall I say. Let, let's look at Psalm 107. And in the first verse, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from the hand of the adversary. Okay, I'll leave it there. We could read the entire psalm because the psalm is a commentary on this sort of heading to the whole psalm. But let the redeemed of the Lord say so. It begins with giving thanks to the Lord for who God is. It's not only what God has done. He is good. And just to meditate on the goodness of God, which is the great umbrella word that covers all the aspects of his love toward us and to all creation, And then he goes on very specifically, his loving kindness is everlasting or to the ages of ages. Loving kindness is that word which describes covenant love, that that love which binds himself to us. Loving kindness, that daily outworking of a love that will not let us go. Okay. He's saying, just oh, give thanks to the Lord, just because of who he is. He's the God who in his very nature is goodness. The God who, because he is love, has committed himself in covenant to us. He loves us. I've been surprised just recently to discover uh, believers, and I mean believers, who, who would put their uh, statement of faith very clearly, they're believers and yet have doubts as to whether God truly loves them. And without saying any more about that, just let me emphasize, the psalm begins with a, a, a volcanic eruption from the spirit of David. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, because just because he's good. Just because he is loving kindness, committed, he can no more stop loving us. Well, well, let me put it this way, that once the word loving kindness is used, once covenant is introduced, it is saying that if God ceased to love us, he would cease to be. For Hebrews, the epistle to Hebrews points out very clearly that when God made covenant, he swore by himself. That is, he said, my very life is being spoken of here. He cannot let you go. He cannot. 
And then he goes on. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. This introduces another aspect of the love of God and which you, you might say is what this psalm really is all about. Um, the, the goodness of God, the loving kindness of God introduces us to God, the Lord, our Redeemer. And as our Redeemer, that makes you and I the redeemed. And that expression, of course, is throughout the scripture. And I, I, I wonder if you know what it means. It's a fascinating word. It, it, it comes deep in the culture of the people of Israel from their earliest days. And, and, and so you read of this word as far back as the book of Ruth, in fact, that is a very good book to read to understand what this word means. So a redeemer, what, what is a redeemer? What does the word mean? Interesting. It, first of all, the very first meaning of the word is a near or close relative. Yeah, you, you heard me right. We, we've moved into family and extended family. And the word redeemer, G-O-E-L in Hebrew, uh, it, it means primarily a very close relative. Uh, another word a little older in, in usage in English is kinsman. And so you will many times hear maybe of kinsman redeemer. It means your kinsman. He is close relative who has taken upon himself this place of redeemer for the close relative. Now he moves to do certain things, which is his acting as redeemer. He will, depending on the situation, a redeemer, a close relative bone of your bone, flesh of your flesh, is, is one who will rescue you in the day of your trouble. You could depend on your close relative. You knew that if bad days came, and if the sky falls in on you, that your close relative, your kinsman, will be there to rescue you. Um... It, it would also mean to ransom you. That is, if you were in a situation where you're, you're going bankrupt, you're going to lose everything that you have, your close relative would step in and he would deliver you from your bankruptcy. He would pay your bills, cover your debt. And then it would also mean that he, he would step in if, if, say, his brother died, then the closest kinsman would step in and marry the widow so that she is no longer uh, alone and open to every predator of the ancient world. This, we're deep into the culture of ancient Israel. Um, I say rescues. Let, let's look at some of those words again. He, he rescues us 
And so another word that you'll find associated with this word is avenge or avenger. It was within this extended family, the understanding, unspoken, but it was maybe louder and stronger than if it had been spoken. It was, if you touch my brother, if you touch my sister, then you touch me and I will avenge them. I will be the one watching over them to avenge them and rescue them. And in ancient days, before there was a sort of universal order to Israel, if a murder took place, then the Redeemer, that close relative, would become the judge, jury, and executioner, bringing the murderer of his brother or sister or relative to justice. Can you take all this in? It's it's sort of a lot. I'm I'm baptizing you into ancient Israel, a redeemer, this kinsman, and, and he's got your back. You see, doesn't matter what happens, you can depend on your redeemer, your near kinsman. He's going to avenge you if necessary. He's going to rescue you if necessary. You can bank on it, and and you in turn will be there for him. And so it also, as I said, it, it, it means the protector, a near kinsman who was there to protect you in the day of your trouble, and if necessary, to provide for you. So if one fell into debt and into poverty, certain things kicked in in those ancient days, you would... Um, you, it's possible that you could be taken into slavery for six years uh, to pay off all your debts. Or if you were a widow woman, the, the person you owed money to would come and take all of your sons and put them in slavery for six years to pay off your debt. Now, that was custom in those ancient days. Or, and maybe, or, and you would lose your inheritance. That is, that piece of land that as far back as the book of Joshua, God had singled you out and given you by name, given this piece of land to you. It was your inheritance. Every person in Israel had their piece of land given by God. Well, in the day of your poverty, you might have to surrender your land to the the person you owed money to, lose the inheritance given to you by God. Well, on such a time, your Redeemer, your near kinsman, would step in, pay your debts, and and give you back your land. That, That was... That, that was the, what can I say, the covenant glue that held these people together. And then, as I mentioned, which is quite remote to most people I'm talking to, but if, if you found yourself a widow in, in those days, you, you were utterly alone with, with no sustenance. And what, what are you going to do? Well, the kinsman, the near kinsman, 
your Redeemer would step in and marry the widow in order to continue his brother's name and to cover and shelter his brother's widow. There you have it. And I say, if you read the book of Ruth, just in these few minutes we've talked already, that book will suddenly open up to you because it's all about the kinsman redeemer. Now, how does this fit into the Bible? Because actually, having said what I've said, that is the meaning of the word. Then what does it mean when all over the place it describes God as our redeemer? And they praised him, the Lord, their redeemer, and they described themselves as the redeemed. How does that all fit together? Do you, do you understand now what, what is the heart of the gospel? Oh, this, this is so glorious that God actually joined the human race in order to become our near kinsman. Do you understand that the very foundation of the gospel is the incarnation? Or to put it in, in plain language, that God, God the Son, came and, and assumed to himself our humanity and did so in the womb of the Virgin Mary. And what we have in this person, Jesus, is a 100% human being. He's one of us. And he did not join the human race to become one uh, a, a human as human was before the fall. Because that wouldn't have helped us very much. He would hardly be our near kinsman. No, he joined us this side of the fall. He entered into our limitations. He entered into our weaknesses. He faced life exactly as we face it. He looked out at life through our eyes. He received information through our ears. He is one of us. Oh, can you get this? See, we, we have been brainwashed by a lot of religious art that however sincere it might be in, in seeking to portray Jesus and the gospel, uh, certain things about it ha have, have left us with a Jesus so remote, that's the whole problem. Religion, especially religion over the last few centuries, it lost Jesus. Jesus became the untouchable. And so the religious art portrayed him with light around his head, which immediately sort of removes him from us, wouldn't you say? If, if you met someone in the supermarket that had glowing lights around their head, I don't think that you would see them as, as sort of one of us, a near kinsman to us. No, there's no lights in the Bible. The only time Jesus was lit up with the glory of God. He took only three of his disciples with him. It was done in secret. And he said, don't tell anybody. Because Jesus was so one of us 
that when he was performing his miracles, you remember his neighbors who had lived alongside of him for 30-odd years, they said, who does he think he is? He's the carpenter of Nazareth. It had never dawned on them that he was anything more than that. He was one of us. Oh, get this. Get it, please. He's one of us. God got inside of our shoes. God walked our pathway, faced all of the harassment and the pressures of life and life at the low end for that time. Israel was a third world country, not only a third world country, but had been conquered by Rome and therefore was under the oppression of Rome, paid taxes to Rome, It was tough life, tough, tough life in a third world country. When third world was 2,000 years ago, third world. God became one of us. God, God the Son had to go to the well to get a bucket of water. See, God the Son entered into the limitations of our humanity. And from from that posture goes to work every day as a carpenter. And he's tempted, it says, in every way like as we are, yet without sin. He was hacking a path that humans had never trodden before. And I might say, that when I say without sin, sin is not to be understood as part of being human, any more than cancer is part of being human. Sin is the aggressor. Sin is the abnormal. Sin was never intended for the human. No, Jesus assumed our humanity, became absolutely one of us. And face life and face Satan as us. What's he doing that for? Why does God come to us? Because in this fashion, we see the love of God. You understand? We, we could have the Bible, at least the Old Testament, which would tell us of the love of God for us. And one's reaction would be, how very nice. But you see, God didn't only write it down and send us a note to say that he loved us. He so loved us, says John 3.16. He so loved the world that he gave his son... God came from God into our shoes, entered into our suffering and death at our hands. And out of the midst of it all, he says, I love you. And we stand back in amazement, awe, wonder, even horror, that God so loved us, he would join us, the creator would join the creature so that he might tell the creature his love, 
that he might enter into our deepest sufferings all the way to death in order to tell the creature, you are beloved. Yeah. But to our point here, God became a full human being and therefore is our relative. Read Hebrews chapter 2. Makes a big point of it. (laughs) He's our relative. He took our flesh. God took our flesh and bone. God took our brain. God took our imagination. God took our emotion. He took the organs of our body. Became our relative. Bone of our bone. Flesh of our flesh. And so... He's our near kinsman redeemer. Now that opens up the Old Testament, doesn't it? Whenever the Lord said that he was the redeemer, he he was anticipating the coming of Jesus. To those who first heard that word from God, the first people to say they were redeemed, I don't know how they interpreted that mystery of saying that God was their close kinsman. But when Jesus came, it all became apparent. The entire Old Testament opened up to us. And as our Redeemer, what does he do? Well, now that again explains so much. Because as our Redeemer, near kinsman, what did I say? He's our Avenger. That is, he's got our back. And if someone tries to hurt us... The kinsman redeemer will come in to rescue us, protect us. If someone is going to severely hurt us, kidnap us, you can be sure that the kinsman redeemer will come and rescue you. God became our near relative in order to be our redeemer Because he has come to avenge us. Do do you understand this? Jesus came in order to avenge or take vengeance on our behalf. He is going to get Satan. Now, I know this isn't preached about very much. But please understand the fact is it really is the subject of the entire Bible and certainly the subject of the New Testament. Jesus, God in our humanness, came as human to take our place, be our representative, and on our behalf to completely overthrow Satan He's going to come right into the dimension of darkness and death that Satan had taken us and to overthrow Satan and to rescue us out from that death and darkness in resurrection. Now, there's good news. See, Jesus didn't come only to forgive sins. And I'm in no way marginalizing the forgiving of sins. No way. It's foundational. But there's much more than that. And, And here we have, you see, in the Garden of Eden, Satan came and 
essentially kidnapped the human race. He, he got Eve by deceit. And Adam just slid into the deceit. You, you understand, it, it, to, to look at Genesis chapter 3 and watch how Satan does it and weaves his web of lies and deceit and illusion until Eve falls for it and she believes his lie and she's brought under the authority of Satan and Adam follows. And there, under the authority of Satan, is darkness and confusion and chaos, abuse and hurt and pain. And out of that, our behaviors of sin emerge. There we are. We've been captured by Satan. So Jesus joins us. Jesus comes and enters into that darkness. But entering into that darkness, he's the only human that Satan doesn't have authority over, for Jesus hasn't sinned. Jesus never trusted the lie or the liar. And so Jesus came right where we were, sat where we sat, and then overcame Satan, gathered us up and says, we're out of here. And I mean out of here, resurrection. Not merely out of a prison, but resurrected out of the death that we called life. Resurrected to where we'd always been intended to be in the presence of the Father and love and joy and peace. Oh, yeah. That's what Jesus did as our Redeemer. But also, he restored our inheritance. As I say, the, the pictures of the Old Testament, how the Lord gave to every person in Israel their piece of land, he has given to us an inheritance of his own love and all that that love accomplishes. We lost that to Satan. We, we lived without any awareness of that love. The love which is described as the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, and is described in Romans as righteousness, which means walking in step, face to face with love. Righteousness, peace, which means that you are reconciled. That it's, that, that, there is friendship. From your side to God, you're, you're in, you, you know his love now and you respond to that love and joy, it says, in the Holy Spirit. He's joined us to the point where the word used for marriage in the Bible is the word used to describe now our relationship to God. The word no, K-N-O-W, no. Uh, it's the word used in the scripture to describe the marriage relationship. And in the New Testament, it says that this is eternal life. This is eternal life, that you might know the Father and know Jesus Christ whom he has sent. We, we, we are joined like, like the near kinsman 
married the widow to be her protection and the one to continue the line. So God has come to us and united himself to us in order that all the fullness of his purpose might come forth through us. So his life is now our life. We are one together. Jesus Christ lives in us. There you have it. There you, you're the redeemed. I suppose I could stop right here and we could have a celebration. You are the redeemed. That's who you are. This is the goodness of God expressed to you. He's redeemed you at what cost? What incredible love that would come thus to get you. That love that shed his own blood in order to get into the death that held you. That's, that's the love of God, the goodness of God, the loving kindness of God. He's our Redeemer. But then it says, that being so, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Now, this is where it gets very practical. Can you say the amen to what I've just said? That you are the redeemed of the Lord and the love of God came to us in Jesus as our redeemer. Well, if that's the case, then it says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. You are the redeemed of the Lord Say so. Say. Well, it's, it's hardly, surely, hardly among an important word of Scripture. Say. Well, I'm sorry. It's one of the most important words of Scripture that we pass over. Insignificant word. I mean, let's get to the big words like salvation and redeemer and say no, see, we say that's insignificant. It's just the flow of air, the, the sound of air passing through uh, our, whatever's the back of your throat and it, it vibrates and it makes words that come out of your mouth. I mean, what's that? Not important. The fact is, Scripture places an enormous importance, I mean enormous importance about that air flow through your mouth, what you say. Do you realize that this word describes what only God and you can do? No other creature in all of creation can say. I mean, lose a night's sleep over that. Do you realize what I'm doing right now? I am saying, I am speaking words that are falling upon your ear and the vibration in your ear translates into understanding my heart. 
say, we say, we speak. Incredible. And as I say, say, yeah. The, the only other that says is God. We're made in the image of God and part of that image is we say. And, and you realize the first time this word say is used in scripture is in Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. You can't get back further than that. And it's a word that describes the activity of God and in fact then becomes a little window into who he is. It says, Genesis 1-1, and God said, there you have it, same word. Here it says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. The same word, Genesis 1-1, and God said. Think about that the next time you open your mouth. So what does this word mean? Well, basically it means what you think it means. It means to say. It means to speak. The word is also used, same word is used in, in the scripture in terms of answer. So someone says... And because you are this incredible made-in-the-image-of-God creature, you can respond with a say. They say, and you say, you answer them. That, that's how it's looked at. So it means to say, it means to speak, it means to answer. Interestingly, in this particular verse right here in Psalm 107, it also has in it the idea of repeating. So another has said, and we answer by repeating what they said. That, that's it. Um, as I say, there's nothing terribly mysterious about it. It means basically what you think it means. To say, to speak, to say, to answer another who's saying or to repeat what another is saying. When this word is used of God, when God says, it has in it the idea that he, in his speaking, his word is creative, as in Genesis 1, it brings into being that which was not before. And what he says is final truth, and reality. And when he speaks, he speaks with absolute authority and his command is obeyed. Hold that in mind because this text is saying, saying, <laughs> repeat. That is, say with God. God has spoken. God has declared and revealed himself as Redeemer. He's spoken. He has told us all that he has done on our behalf in Jesus, who interestingly is called the Word of God. And so Jesus in himself, Jesus 
in what he says, Jesus in what he does, and supremely Jesus in his suffering and death and resurrection. There is the word of God. God has spoken in Jesus. Now it says, repeat that. That is, let the word of God be repeated in your say-so. The word of God in your mouth. He has redeemed you. This God who is good, this God who is loving kindness, he's redeemed you. Now, repeat that into life. Repeat that into your world. Repeat that into your inner world. Repeat it. Repeat it. That's what he's saying. You say it. You say what God says. We we could take a lot of time on this, so let let me um, tell you where you can go to think more about this. Do you remember Joshua? Joshua is in a tough spot because Moses had died and put the bringing of Israel into their promised land, into the hands of Joshua. And that's a tough situation. I wouldn't like to be the one who took over from Moses. And so he's promised in Joshua chapter 1 and verse 5, the Lord says to him, no man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you. I will not forsake you. On your part, in the light of that, if I said I'm I'm with you as I was with Moses and I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you, on your part, then you've got a good foundation to be strong and courageous. And you will fulfill what I've sent you to do. Give this people their possession. Give them the promised land. All I'm asking, verse 7, he says again, only, the only thing, you be strong and courageous. Well, how are you going to do that? Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. The law that Moses commanded are the first five books of the Bible, which was Joshua's Bible. And he says, you'll do it, you'll do it. And how shall you do it? Verse 8, this book of the law, the first five books of the Bible, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. Your mouth, your mouth. He says, whatever I have said, through Moses, the first five books, the Torah, if you like. Whatever I've said, don't let it depart from your mouth. Say so. Say what I have said. You shall meditate on it day and night. That is not say so once, but ponder it. Ponder it. Chew the cud like a cow, like a goat. Chew it over, chew it over, chew it over. See how this applies to this part of life, to that part of life. 
Meditate, that's the meaning of the word. And in so doing, you shall be careful to do everything that's written there. So let that word be in your mouth. Say so with God. Say so with God. And as you ponder that and say, 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 say so, you will find that like chewing food, it will become the sustenance, the nourishment. It shall become your flesh and your bone and you will become that word. Say so. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you shall have success. You will be prosperous in doing what I want you to do. You'll be a rich man for the will of God, the pleasure of God, the delight of God will be in your actions, in your mouth, in your mind. You'll be successful. You will actually accomplish what I have sent you to do. Say so. that's, That's exactly what Psalm 107 means. Or you could go to the book of James in the New Testament. Fascinating little book. Let let me give you just a a quickie there. It it says in the first chapter that this word of God is like a mirror. In verse 22, it says, um, if anyone is a hearer of the word, this word of God, If anyone is a hearer of God's word and not a doer, that is, there's this big disconnect. Here's the word of God and here's your life and never the twain do meet. And, and, And no, he says, if you're just a hearer of the word and not a doer, you're like a man who looks at his face in a mirror. And once he's looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. You look at yourself in the mirror, comb your hair, and off you go and forget totally. You couldn't draw a picture of your face to save your life. Ha. He said you can look into the Word of God. It's a mirror. It shows you who you are. It tells you what God says about you. This is a mirror that reflects who you truly are in Christ Jesus. He says, don't just look at it and and go away. No, he says, verse 25, one who looks intently at this word of liberty and abides by it, brings your life into line with it, not having become a forgetful hearer, But an effectual or empowered doer, this man is blessed or prosperous or successful in all that he says. So I come to the Word of God and there's an excitement rising in me because the Word of God is God's say. This is what God has said. And he is telling me, look at it and you say so. And as you look and say and say and look, so you realize in the most practical way who you truly are. 
And you see, as a, a foundational fact, James chapter 3, it, it tells us, and I, I, I don't have the time to go into all of this, but, but it says your tongue, where the, this little instrument by which you say, your tongue, it says, is a very small rudder, but the rudder of a boat, though small it be, turns and guides the entire boat. So therefore, what you say actually is the rudder of your behaviors in your life. So he says, say the word of God. Bring your tongue into accord with God, say so. So, you, you look at your life right now. You don't have to wait for something. Right now, what is happening to you? We judge that situation and we say so about it, not by what our senses report, because they're very limited. They can only report the, the, what I can see and hear and smell and touch and taste. That's very limited. There's a lot more going on right around you than just what your five senses can see. But we will, that's the way of the world. You, you judge a situation based on the five senses and then wonder why your, your life is guided right into the middle of the horror that you see. No, we speak, we judge a situation we say so about it based on what God says, that he's in the middle of this and he's with us and he won't leave us and he's working out his purpose and so on and so on. You've got a whole Bible there, especially the book of Psalms, to give the say-so of God concerning your situation. And, and this saying what he says about the situation is our answer which is, remember, another meaning of this word say. It's an answer. He has said, I say, and I choose to agree with his say-so. Or, to use another part of Scripture, this is the amen. And you know, amen is a Hebrew word we never translated. It means that's the way it is. And so he says, and we say amen, that's the way it is. We say what God says. Let it be so. Say so. It's also used in Scripture for saying to oneself. You know, we, we say to God and we say to one another. We also say to ourselves. So, to yourself, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Well, what, what do we say to ourselves? Most of our conversation with ourselves, outside of a non-stop commentary on what's happening to us, at the heart of it, we say our identity. Who am I? Uh, I am in many ways, many ways, I'm continually saying my identity to myself. Well, if you read Psalm 107 there, right there, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Right there, the redeemed 
That's your identity. You are one who has been redeemed. And so your identity is rooted in God's identity. He's the redeemer. You then are the redeemed. You are who God says you are. Who identity. That's a major part of my ministry over the last 60 years. If, if, we, if we can know the identity of God, we then know our identity. And when we know his identity and our identity, then we're awash in life. You see, what was it in Genesis 3? What did Satan come to do in the Garden of Eden? Because we've got so many stupid ideas about sin. It's as if Satan came into the Garden to offer Eve a cigarette. <laughs> Ridiculous. No, um, she, he didn't even come into the Garden to suggest that Eve murder Adam. You see, those things are, are behaviors. They, they come right down the line, and half of those behaviors are cultural. It depends what your pastor thinks about it, not what the Bible says. Uh, um, and so, no, 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 no. In Genesis 3, when Satan came and grabbed the human race by lie and deceit, what was the issue? He came and brought down the identity of God. What God had said about himself, Satan took that and twisted and distorted it. And I, I don't have time to go into that in detail, but enough to say Satan came and suggested. That's always the case. Now, now it doesn't come right out until he's got you on his hook. Uh, but he suggested, has God said, has he? Is it possible that he's holding something back from you? This idea that he's a good God, he loves you. Well, he, he, he's not all that he's cracked up to be. You see, he knows that if you take of this fruit, you, you will be God's. And he's holding that back from you because he, he doesn't want you to know who you are. And so he is saying of God, you need to be suspicious of God. You see, God, God is, is a liar. He came out and said that in the next verse. He says, God's a liar. God isn't good. Just suggestions. And by the time you've come to the end of that verse, you're, you're, you're wondering about the love of God. You're wondering about the goodness of God and whether really he's holding back on you. And, and it's, it's just a matter of a two or three steps and, and the whole idea of God who is love, his identity that is revealed to us now is being distorted and twisted and the beautiful face of God has been tarred. But then, where does that leave me? If I'm not sure about God, I find my identity in his identity. So if, if he's 
this God then. And so Satan injected the lie concerning our identity that we could, should, must be independent of God and discover the source of life, Godness within ourselves. That, that was the, that's it. At that point, sin entered in and mankind was captured and death and destruction and chaos swept across the world like a tsunami. That's sin. Identity. Who do you say God is? And you see, that's what we say to ourselves. And when Satan shoots his flaming arrows into our mind, these are the thoughts attached to the arrow. You think God really loves you? You think God is with you? You think God is love? You, maybe for others, but not for you. And he whispers his vile, foul poison into your head. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Say to yourself who God is revealed in Jesus Christ. Say to yourself then who you are because of who he is. Make it plain. You don't get your identity from circumstances. You don't get your identity from what other people say. You don't even get your identity from how you might be feeling right now. You get your identity from the face of God revealed in Jesus. Look, I've got time just for this quickie. That with Jesus was tempted in all points like as we are. I've said that earlier. Well, what was the essence of the temptation? Identity. Satan came to Jesus and said, if you're the son of God, well, what's the if about then? Because just a few weeks before that, on the banks of the river Jordan, if you remember when John baptized Jesus, the heavens opened and the father spoke to his son and said, you are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Do you remember that? Now, approximately six weeks later, Satan says, Son of God, hmm? well, 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 sure don't look like it, you know. You haven't eaten for six weeks. I mean, if, if you were the Son of God, you could just say to these stones, turn into bread and you'd have your feast, wouldn't you? That if you're the Son of God, challenging questioning what the father had said concerning Jesus and Jesus how can I put this there's a sense in which Jesus did not answer Satan Jesus answered the father by repeating the essence of what the father said back to the father he said bread it's got nothing to do with it. Man doesn't live by bread alone. Don't bring up bread. My father said, I'm his son, and that's the end of it. See, have you ever thought that Jesus lived by faith in what his father said? And Jesus said, after the father 
So the father said and Jesus said back to the father and said, Amen, that's the way it is. I wish I had more time. What I would like every one of you to do is, is to, especially the New Testament, go to some of the epistles, go to the Psalms and read them out loud. Find a place where you can be alone to say out loud and say it. And as you say it, don't just read it quickly, but rather say it with the realization that this is A, a revelation of who God is, and B, a revelation of what He, your God, Father and Son and Holy Spirit, says about you. And say it back to Him with praise and thanksgiving. Say it as the Virgin Mary said back the Word of God, Be it unto me according to your word. And let it return to him in praise and thanks to God that this is the way it is. And, and do that as a habit of life. There, of course, I read silently. I, I read in my mind. Of course I do. I speed read too. But there is going to be a time when we come back to how they did it in Bible days, which is to say it out loud and let the very atmosphere reverberate with the truth of God's word concerning our situations and concerning who we are in Christ Jesus. Well, I, I share that with you because... I would say it's one of those foundational facts of my life. I, I found many, many decades ago how they did this in Bible days. They, they said it. They said it. And I have sought to do so throughout my life. And what I have said, the essence of my saying, is that I'm redeemed. Because God became my redeemer, my near kinsman. And so we say this good news into every situation, into our very innermost being. And we walk in this world as the redeemed of the Lord. Amen. And now the blessing of God who is almighty love, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. His blessing wash through your life this very day. His blessing enliven you, life you, enlighten you, and cause you to walk in the fullness of this good news. So I bless you and declare this is the way it is. Amen.